We all need a little extra health boost sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout. Orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to fleurmarche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. Hello, hello, and welcome back to For the Girls. This week, we are diving into a preview for what is arguably a race at the most prestigious circuit in all of Formula One. It's the Crown Jewel, it's the Monaco Grand Prix, and it's upon us this weekend. In the same vein, we're also going to be giving you guys a little deep dive into the money, the business, the sponsorships, all of the glitz and glam behind F1. So with that, I'm Chessa. I'm Tiggy. And I'm Sarah. So before we jump into the track, I think it's worth mentioning that Monaco is one of only four races on the current schedule that doesn't have a contract that goes beyond the end of this year. There's a bit of discussion about this recently because all of these new races being added, like Vegas and Miami, some people were saying that maybe Monaco is under threat. But according to the president of the Automobile Club in Monaco, he said, quote, I can guarantee you that after 2022, the Monaco Grand Prix will continue to take place. I think <laughs> as we'll hear in, the, in this episode, it's such an iconic race. I think there's absolutely no chance to get rid of it. Yeah. And I think a lot of drivers have said the same thing and echo that. And a lot of drivers live in Monaco. I feel like they'll they'll push to to keep it. So getting into the characteristics, it is a street circuit. The circuit winds right through the city of Monaco's principality, which sits along the beautiful French Riviera. There's 78 laps with 19 turns. And since there are so many twists and turns, the drivers each make up to 5,000 gear changes, which is crazy. Whoa, that's insane. Yeah. Top speed of about 180 miles per hour. So it's not a fast track. It's really all about the narrowness and the slow and medium speed corners. Last year was the fastest Monaco race ever with Max winning with an average speed of about 98 miles an hour, which is pretty slow. We could literally do that in our cars. <laughs> <laughs> We've had literally. some Uber drivers recently who did that. So exactly. And only one DRS zone. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the Monaco Grand Prix. So the circuit itself was built in 1929 when cigarette mogul Anthony Nose proposed the race to the Monaco Automobile Club. The first F1 race at the circuit was actually held in 1950, with races being held there every year since 1955, obviously with the exception of 2020, a la covid um, but no major track changes here um, really since then, except for 2004 when they moved the really cramped pit section to where the circuit swimming pool used to be. So just a quick little 
<laughs> mix up there. Um, and this is the true original street circuit right through the heart of the city on very narrow streets. Um, so it's not like these modern um, street circuits that we've seen. It's really, truly, truly real street racing. If you have a yacht, this is definitely the place to be at because I'm sure you've seen photos, but spectators can watch the race from all of these super yachts and hotel balconies that line the um, main harbor area and a bunch of yachts can pull right up to the harbor right along the track. And Leclerc's from Monaco and a lot of other drivers live there. Lando, Max, Lewis, and more live there. I think a big draw gives you South of France vibes, but with no income or capital gains taxes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Blessed. Some other celebrities who live there and might make an appearance are Bono, Novak Djokovic, and Sir Roger Moore. And there Wait, are lots who's, of- who's Sir Roger Moore? <laughs> should I know He's this? He's the old James Bond. I should know that. Yeah, Sarah. Some other celebs who have attended the Grand Prix recently include lots of models, the Hadid sisters, the some Jenners, Chris and Kendall, Tommy Hilfiger, the Game of Thrones cast, classic, Hugh Grant, Serena Williams, Ronaldo, Tom Brady, who threw a football from one yacht to Danny Rick on another, and he somehow caught it. <laughs> Maybe football should be Danny Ricardo's new sport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does love, he is the Buffalo Bills' number one fan, so that could work. There we go. <laughs> so there is actually a new format for this weekend. Typically, unlike other Grand Prix, Monaco usually runs on a four-day program, Thursday through Sunday, and then having with the break on Friday. This is kind of a weird tradition that dates back to the 1920s when the track was built, when Ascension Day was observed on a Friday, so they would take a break then. This year, wow, we're going to go that's back. A, that's a good fun fact. I didn't know that. It is. It's very random. Um, but this year, we're going to go back um, or we're going to stick to the more traditional format, Friday through Sunday races, and then the support categories will now race on Thursday. So what happened here last year? Last year, this race was huge. It was a really big turning point because it was when Max and Red Bull took the lead in both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships for the first time. Um, Lewis Hamilton holds the fastest lap record here, which he actually set last year despite having a really tough race. The podium was Verstappen P1, Sainz P2, Norris P3. So last year, the Ferrari was not nearly as good as it is this year. So very strong showing from Sainz there. But on the flip side, it was absolute heartbreak for Charles. He crashed in Q3, but was still able to get pole because one of his previous laps in Q3 was so good. So overnight, the team worked really frantically to fix the car. They got him a new gearbox. But then as he was pulling out to the grid on Sunday, his car failed. And just so sad. It was also not a great race for Mercedes last year, even with a Constructors winning car. Botas had started P2 and ran most of the race in second behind Max. But then when he pitted, his right front tire got literally stuck on the car so badly that they had to retire it, which is kind of unheard of. And then Hamilton got overcut by three cars and yelled, how could this happen to his team on the radio? And he ended up finishing P7. So not a great race for Mercedes, but we'll see how they do this year. So what kind of racing can we expect this weekend? So the track is almost impossibly narrow, making it extremely hard to pass. Nelson Piquet said it was like riding a bicycle around your living room. So how's that for a visual? Um, Fun fact, Nelson Piquet is Kelly Piquet's dad, um, Max's (laughs) quasi-father-in-law. So if there is passing, it's epic for the spectators at this race. It has them on the edge of their seats, but... Sometimes we could have a very little or no passing race, which happened in 2003. If this was a zero passing race, it's going to be really important. 
Yeah, <laughs> it is going to be important. A lot of low speed corners, as we said, this used to work better because the cars were smaller and lighter, but as the cars keep getting bigger and heavier, there's basically no passing, as Chessa just said, but still so cool to watch because it's super technical with tight turns and not a lot of room for errors because it's so narrow. So just a tough track to conquer in quali. Hopefully we'll see some action. The big story will be whether Charles can overcome his Monaco curse. It's pretty widely accepted that this track will suit the Ferrari best with such an emphasis on the corners and not straight line speed, but hopefully the curse does not haunt him as it usually does. Yeah. So getting into the teams, Ferrari, as Tiggy just said, the track is really well suited to the car. On Barcelona, Ferrari was fastest on the low and medium speed corners in the third sector. So that bodes well for them. Ferrari has also finished in the top two the last four races here. As we mentioned, Carlos was on podium last year. But Charles has, to put it mildly, not great luck here. So he didn't start last year, even though he had pole, as we mentioned. In 2018, his first F1 season ever, his brakes failed and he DNF'd this race. Then 2019, he was out in Q1 and then also DNF'd due to damage during the race. Then didn't even start the race in 2021. And then a few weeks ago, he also crashed at the Monaco Historic (laughs) Grand Prix because the brakes failed. So yeah, we have to add, it was not his fault the brakes failed, but still just horrible luck. Hopefully they got that failure out of the way in Barcelona and can pale, pa- pave the way for him. <laughs> this I'm weekend. so stressed. My stomach is in knots sitting here Aww. hearing this for him. Like this is going to be a lot for him to live up to. I know. And as much as a Red Bull fan as I am, I really want him to win here. He just deserves it. And it's his home race. And it would be so great to see him up there after all of this. And it clearly just means so much to him. But as, as we mentioned, science was on podium last year, but said after Barcelona that he's really struggling this season and with the new car. So we'll see what he can do. Hopefully the fact that he was strong here last year gives him a little bit of a confidence boost. So Red Bull. Red Bull is now ahead in both championships and they have the momentum, but they do continue to struggle with these reliability issues. The cars seem pretty fragile. Max has been really strong on this path, on this track before. And the fact that the margins for error are so slim plays in his favor because he is a remarkably consistent driver. So I think we'll see good things from Red Bull this weekend as well. And then Mercedes, so Lewis won here in 2019 and 2016. They definitely improved in Barcelona, but they're by no means back where they were last season. There's sort of a savage comment from Bonotto. He said in quali, they were seven-tenths off the pace, and in the race they finished 30 seconds or more from the Red Bull. So a little <laughs> bit of team principal <laughs> uh, barbs there. The team is going to focus on low-speed performance for Monaco, and then they're set to bring some parts to help in that regard. So some more uh, upgrades from them, I guess. So McLaren. McLaren is struggling as the most wins of any constructor at this track. Um, And Danny won here in 2018 with Red Bull. But then last year, Lando lapped Danny here. So that seems maybe more along the lines of what we're going to see. McLaren... McLaren brought a really big upgrade package to Barcelona that we didn't get to see too much of because Lando was super sick and Danny wasn't having a good race. So maybe we'll get to see some of that. They made a lot of changes to the wings, floor, brakes, suspension, almost the entire car. So maybe we'll see one of them get to put that to work. For Alfa Romeo, justice for Botas. We really want to see him do well here. The car historically is good in low-speed corners, and Botas said he thought the car is well-suited for the track. So if he's feeling confident, we're feeling confident. Williams, Latifi was P15 here last year. Pretty good for him. I guess we'll just have to see. (laughs) That's a depressing statement. (laughs) 
And then Haas, despite not bringing updates to the car, as we mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago, they probably are waiting till July. Haas was able to find some pace on the car and was pretty fast on low and medium speed corners in Barcelona. So we should expect to see good things. They did really well in quali and they couldn't pull it together for the race in Spain, but hopefully they'll pull it together Alpine, Alonso has won here before, but it was back in 2006 and 2007, so sort of ancient history, but he's hot off a good race this past weekend, so hopefully he will pull something good together. Vettel, our other former champion, is similar. He won here in 2017 with Ferrari, and last year he was P5 um, and definitely outperformed his car, but obviously Aston Martin, even with their new car, is not having the best time, so we'll see what happens. And then Tauri, Gasly was P6 here last year, so pretty good. Definitely would be a good time for him to get a bit of momentum going. He's had such <laughs> a tough start to this season. So he's he's one of those drivers I really want to see have a good, a good performance soon. So into our hot take predictions for this weekend. For me, I hope this isn't a hot take, but I guess it is because of his history. Redemption for Charles. I really want him to win the P1. And I'm also going to throw in a Botas podium. Damn, I'm so here for that. Yeah, I feel like if the tire gets stuck on your car, you deserve a podium the following year. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the rule book. For me, as I was saying, I really want to see Charles win. Um, I'm going to go with Charles, Carlos, and Max on the podium. I think since the Ferrari is going to be so strong here, if Carlos can keep it together, I think really good chance they're both on the podium. Nice. Yeah, mine's similar. Leclerc really needs this one bad. So P1, Charles. And then I also don't see any reason why we can't also see signs on podium. So maybe we'll have a Ferrari one too. Exciting. We're all manifesting that. Let's manifest everyone. Juju's out. Um, Okay. So (laughs) big headlines this week. Christian is being very dramatic about the cost cap and he's trying to push Classic Christian being dramatic. (laughs) I know like the richest team is like, we don't have enough money. Um, (laughs) Because they're not used to being frugal. Everyone else is pretty thrifty. Um, So he's trying to get the FIA to... Um, he's trying to push the FIA to increase it on account of inflation. The McLaren principal, Seidel, said it would be impossible to stand to the limit this year. To increase the cost cap, a supermajority would be needed, so eight teams would have to approve that. So Christian even said that seven teams might have to miss races at the end of the season because the costs have just gone up so much in terms of like energy, transit, shipping, etc. Maybe he's being a little bit dramatic, but with that being said... If a team was already right up at the 140 million cost cap figure, over 5% inflation this year would put you millions over the limit. So they really have to account for that. Maybe this is a little bit of like a top team versus other team situation since Ferrari, McLaren, and Mercedes are also in favor of changing it. Um, and the Alpine principal said no. Like we've already accounted for inflation. Go, so. <laughs> yeah, Classic. he had a great comment. He was like, that's a them problem. We put that in our budget. <laughs> Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacovas your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacovas. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. 
Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. So speaking of money, let's get into our special segment. We are talking all about money and sponsorships. And it's no secret the Formula One is a luxury sport between the cars, the celebs, the jet setting, money is everywhere. And not unlike other major sports, this is a serious business venture with some of the highest paid athletes and flashiest sponsorships in the world. (laughs) Crypto.com, we're looking at you. (laughs) And we're giving too much credit to (laughs) Crypto.com. Exactly. Yeah, so let's just talk about the sport more broadly. So since the advent of Drive to Survive, it really does seem like money's at the forefront of any F1 conversation these days. With these massive untapped markets, right, namely in the United States, F1 is a cash cow that everyone wants in on. Let's put some numbers on it to make people's jaw drop. So in 2021, revenue was up 87% to $2.14 billion, while F1's cumulative broadcast audience topped 1.5 billion people. So more races equals more money, as always. So to really put this into perspective, when the when Formula One canceled the 2022 Russian GP and that contract with the event promoter was canceled, it cost F1 over $50 million. So there's just a lot of money to be had here. Everyone's really trying to capitalize on it. Um, it's also not just money for like F1 and the, the teams in general. There's also a media and broadcasting grab happening right now with ESPN trying to lock down the rights for future races and then Netflix reportedly hinting at a surprise bid for the rights. So a lot of people would definitely want in. I think it's also good to note here that a lot of this can also be kind of tied to Liberty Media buying F1 and they are kind of really a business-driven media company. And so a lot of this aligns with them trying to expand in America and Now, the Vegas paddock land is costing $240 million, so (laughs) big spenders. In terms of the teams, the teams are really run like well-oiled business machines. Principals and their finance sidekicks are constantly crunching the numbers. Um, So we've already talked about some of the cost caps this year for the teams. They're about $140 million. And it's important to remember that the cost cap is mostly just for car development and operations and upgrades during the season. So teams can spend millions and millions of more dollars more than that. So for example, driver salaries and marketing isn't even included in the cost cap and Maxim Lewis's salaries alone are $50 million. So the the cost cap is really just the tip of the iceberg. Most teams except the top teams really just break even. If you think about the cost of research and development, the logistics, which you got into last episode, which are insane, plus the driver and the team salaries. With that being said, team funding mostly comes from sponsorships, payments from Formula One, pay drivers, and also manufacturers. So to help with funding, the teams turn to sponsorships. The teams will typically have a title sponsor and then a bunch of other corporate and technology sponsors and partnerships. Really as many fit on the car in the driver's kit. I think Alpine has over 30, which is crazy. (laughs) I literally read the list. I counted one by one. It's insane. (laughs) 
The title sponsorship costs range based on the strength and the airtime a team gets, but they can range anywhere from 20 to 50 million euros typically. Big corporate names like Oracle, Aramco, all those types of big companies and conglomerates. Each team negotiates these deals individually based on the exposure a company is looking for and also the time the car is shown on TV or social media. Of course, this favors the larger and winning teams, so it's kind of like the rich get richer. (laughs) And fun fact for all you crypto gods out there, (laughs) this year, eight out of 10 teams entered the 2022 season with some sort of crypto or NFT deal, which is insane. Red Bull with Bybit is allegedly 150 million, AlphaTauri and with and Phantom, and of course Crypto.com paid 100 million to be the official sprint event partner for F1. This also really goes to show too why it's a big draw for teams to have charismatic drivers because if your team's not that great, you're not getting that much airtime on TV. If so true. The media coverage and social media is really hyping up and giving almost free coverage to a different driver. I think Daniel Ricardo is a really good example of this with the amount of airtime he gets in the United States. That can also be a huge draw. Yeah, speaking of Daniel Ricardo um, merchandise, the teams also have suppliers for gears and really can actually make a lot of money from their merch. That $50 tie-dye Mercedes hat had a brief chokehold on me. I was ready to pull the trigger. <laughs> you didn't, I'm Chesa? surprised you didn't. Yeah. You really, really wanted it. The purple hat. I was hat. so ready. Yeah, it was really sexy. Um, anyways, maybe another day. So to wrap it up, what do the sponsors get out of this? It seems like they're paying a lot of money. Um, but So what's their ROI? I think for them, they're really thinking about right brand awareness and excitement, driving traffic and sales to their sites. And then obviously, like we just mentioned, tapping into this ever-growing um, and global market as well. The second way a team makes money is through payouts. So every team gets about $36 million in prize money for simply being in the championship, which comes from revenue like TV rights and circuit sponsorships. And then the teams also get payouts for where they finish in the constructors' championship. So for winning the championship in 2021, Mercedes received $60 million, while Williams got just $13 million. So some... Other interesting one-off payments from last year. As a long-standing team, Ferrari got an additional sixty-eight million dollars, which, which is huge. What they literally what just agree. get extra. They literally just get money for being the oldest team, and they're always going to be the oldest team, so they're always going to get that money every year. <laughs> it's kind of insane. Wow. McLaren, Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari got thirty-five million dollar constructors championship bonuses. Williams got a $10 million heritage payment, and then Red Bull got $36 million for being the first team to sign the Concord Agreement, and that is the contract between the FIA, the Formula One teams, and the Formula One group, which dictates the terms by which the teams compete in the race and how television revenues and prize money is shared. So when we've talked about an 11th team, if an 11th team needed wanted to join, the Concord Agreement would have to be revised and all of this prize money would get diluted down. Thus, why we had Andretti marching around the Miami paddock unsuccessfully trying to get signatures from <laughs> other teams. Classic. The third way uh, teams make money is through pay drivers. Instead of getting paid, these drivers, their contracts are tied to lucrative sponsorship deals and they effectively pay for their own seats via these deals. So currently we have Lance Stroll, who is bankrolled by his dear father, Lawrence Stroll. (laughs) Latifi gets his seat at Williams due to the money Lavazza Coffee and Safina Foods bring to the team. And even Lando's seat at McLaren was funded by his father at the beginning as well. Wow, this makes me like Latifi more. I didn't know he had a big coffee connection. (laughs) Yeah. 
there is also the case of Nikita Mazepin, who was sponsored by Ur- Earl Colley, his father's company. But when Haas dumped them as a sponsor, Mazepin lost his seat. Also, it was interesting, if you all remember back from kind of Vintage Drive to Survive at the start, it covered when Ocon lost his, I think it was his racing point seat to Checo. He was complaining about how Checo had a Mexican billionaire backing him. So this definitely is kind of a repeat issue. It's just interesting, though, because pay drivers are not new. They've been in Formula One and motorsports for a really long time. I think there's a lot of varied opinions on it. But I don't know. If people want to get in, the more the merrier, is my opinion. So good for them. True. And some of these teams really, really need the money. So they're definitely happy to take a driver who maybe wouldn't be their first choice if they're super desperate for money. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the other business models that that help boost teams' competitiveness and help bring in some more income. So let's talk about the supplier angle. This is for the automaker teams mostly. We talk about this a lot, but a lot of teams share the same engine supplies with Ferrari, Mercedes leading on that front. So Ferrari and Mercedes obviously make some money by, you know, having other teams drive cars with their engines. The other one is the technology transfer. So this is Ford versus Ferrari vibes, if anyone saw that movie. So again, this is for the automakers, Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston Martin, McLaren, etc. For them, the Formula One team is a very powerful marketing tool for their regular road legal cars. So that's the first thing. And then they can also use some of the technology that they develop in F1 and execute it on those road legal sports cars as well. Lastly, the external technology transfer. We're getting very technical here. It feels like we're in a business school class. But um, over the years, some of the teams, Williams, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, um, have actually developed and sold tech to third parties for use outside of Formula One. So things like aerospace, materials engineering, IT, and communications. So I think that's really cool as well. And then lastly, probably a much smaller part of it, but a lot of teams have driver academies. So one, they create their own pipeline by running these training programs, but two, you know, drivers have to pay to be in them as well. So that's a nice way they also supplement their income. And with that, we are so excited for the race this weekend. We will catch you on the flip side for a recap. And thanks again for listening. 